Hi, this is Charlie Peck from the Thriving School Community Podcast. I am here today with Shane Saeed, and oh my goodness, we're going to be talking about early career teachers and how to lead them through kind of improving their cognitive capacity, which is the language that Shane just used. I love that. Um, But let's first get to know Shane. Shane, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Charlie. I just really appreciate it. I know we've got really excited. This is the first time that we're actually meeting because we've been, you know, uh, communicating back and forth on social media. So this is really exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's funny when a lot of us in education do that and we, we kind of connect that way. And then it's really neat to meet each other either at conferences or you are, you and I are in the same network because our book publisher connected, we've each published a book with them. And um, so that's exciting too. So I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Really? Thank you. Yes. So you're an instructional coach in Colorado and mm-hmm. I'll let you tell everybody more about that because you, I want to, I want to start off talking about the book that you wrote and why you wrote that. So you, I mean, you've done a lot here, so go with that because people need to understand what it's about, like being the flame or like getting your teeth on and, and tell me about what you do and how that plays a role. Definitely. So as you said, I am an instructional coach in Colorado. Prior to that, I was an elementary school teacher and I actually wrote Be the Flame in the fall and I guess spring of 2020 into 2021. So I was still in the classroom. It was that uh, COVID teaching. I was doing that, wrapping up a master's, starting a doctorate, and then I wrote Be the Flame on top of it. And I wouldn't ever recommend doing that because (laughs) I guess not. (laughs) You know, looking back, you're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. No, I know it it was pretty difficult, but it was great work. Um, And I was really excited that when Jimmy approached me to be like, hey, I feel like you you could write a book. If you were to write anything, what would you write? And I thought about a lot of the questions that I got on Instagram when I would share practices of my classroom. And a lot of it was collaborative work between my students in heterogeneous groupings. And a lot of the commentary I would get was, I don't know how you are able to do that. My kids would fight. They don't work together. They don't do this. They don't do that. And I was like, this response back to you on like how to make this happen is much longer than, you know, the character, uh, limit, I would say on a direct message. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Right. It was just, it's, it's way more complex. I can't just give you the secret sauce in a direct message. And so when uh, Jimmy asked what I wanted to write on, I was like, I really want to focus on positive classroom communities and not just the why they're important, but how to get there. Because I feel like so often in education, we have these amazing theories and inspirational books, but we never have the bridge into practice. And so my book is really that bridge from like, here's the theory, here's why it's great to have relationships, it's important, and here's how you can get there. Here's some ideas, here are some strategies, here are some activities, and it really breaks them down. It's literally some uh, chapters are lesson plan guides to be able to actually make that happen in your class. So that was really my, my big vision. And then it's a, be the flame is a, it's a motto that my dad used with us when we were growing up. Uh, So every single time we are in different situations where we were working in groups, whether it was in the classroom or on the soccer field, we had to be the flame. So that was leadership, being positive, leaving others better than you, you know, initially found them. And so that's kind of where the inspiration for the title came from. And then the analogy or the metaphor 
of the fire. So at first you spark your interest. So that's the first chapter by reflecting on the way that educators have had a really important and positive impact on you. And then you kindle rapport and relationships with students one-on-one. You ignite community among your students because it's more, it's, just as important for the teacher and students to have relationship as, as it is for them to have community and relationships with one another to create a safe learning environment. And then um, we have like coaching collaboration where they're able to like, I walk through how to coach your students to build that uh, skill of collaboration because it's not Nate's. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about catching on with uh, families, how to build community with the families and caregivers of your students. We also have uh, fuel because your teammates and those that you choose to surround yourself with are the ones that fuel you and fuel your fire. And then finally, there's spread and a blaze. So spread is how can you spread your ideas or your uh, PLN, your professional learning network, to a broader community outside of your building or school district to get more of a broad view of education across the United States or even globally in the world. And then finally, ablaze. How do you keep your flame ablaze? And we know that that's really important, especially for early career teachers, is how do you make sure you don't burn out? Because it is incredibly important to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if anyone has not read the book yet, which is including me, and I told you I'm definitely getting this book. We all know there's, there's a million of them, you know, in our summer reading list. Yes. <laughs> but truly, and I, I told you this before we start recording is I know it aligns with what we're doing because it's so important to have not only to get people excited who are working with kids and those are edu- educators, but we got to keep that going and, and we can't just stop and start, stop and start. That's just not working in education, is it? Correct. We need to find a way to actually fuel ourselves in a way that's not going to, we're having these like peaks and valleys. Right. Okay. So let's pretend right now you lead a school, you're a principal right now, you're getting ready to start a whole new school year. What are you doing based on your own principles and practice? What would you suggest to them? What would you do to get started so that you can ignite that? Or maybe that's not the first step. You tell me, what what would you do in a, a professional development session with a principal to say, hey, this is what we need to do to start building that? To start strong. I mean, I know that sometimes like it can be a little bit of a cringy subject for teachers when they say icebreakers, maybe not icebreakers, but something that is, does bring people together. So I know that icebreakers are like a touchy subject. However, they are super important for creating camaraderie and you have like a a similar experience or you start to learn more about the different people on your staff. So I would say that is the very first step is building community among your staff so that you are creating a positive climate and culture within your school. Absolutely. You know, what's funny, one of the things I started doing when I work, start working with adults all these years ago, and I, people don't really love those icebreakers. And so I noticed that. And one of the things I did is I'd say, okay, listen, you may not have to participate in this. You have choice in that, but you then become an observer and you've got a really important job. And so it's kind of nice to have like them, them still involved, but not feeling like they have to do it. But we as teachers, all of us have done that to our students and have made them like, put your head down, close your eyes, stand here, do this find a partner, all those cringeworthy things. So it's kind of nice that you say that that's still very important to do because we have to build that community somehow. 
Yes. And you know what, if you notice, if you know, you might get a couple of groans, but after your first or second activity, people are really excited and into it. And all of a sudden they're talking. So if you have uh, maybe what's called like a low expressive staff, so pretty uh, fairly introverted or they don't like speaking out in big groups, this is a really great way to get them feeling warmed up within their small group. And I know we can talk about this a little bit, but in my book, I have what's called community building quick tips, which apply directly to adults too. And one of them is don't make them participate if they don't want to, right? So like choice is important if you would like to observe first, because that is going to make you feel more comfortable hundred percent, because we're not going to push you into compliance. We want it. We want to uh, cultivate engagement. And so that is so incredibly important. And usually they start seeing how much fun people are having and then they jump in. And then if people aren't having fun, we have to reflect on what's the activity that I chose and was it the right activity? Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. Even when it's just like when you're teaching a bunch of students, well, you know, as an instructional coach too, you help teachers all the time. You probably say, I, I tried, like I spent my whole evening on this or like days and it bombed, it bombed, but talk about that for new teachers. So this is about helping leaders talk to our new teachers coming in so that they don't burn out and they still feel okay to mess up and come back from it. So talk about how they can kind of bridge that. Oh, that's a great, what you just said is that they can make mistakes and it's not the end of the world, right? So again, creating those immediate positive lines from administration to those new teachers saying, hey, it's okay if things don't go the right way. And then also feel free to come to me when you need support and when you need help. Because I know myself as a first year teacher, I was so afraid of looking like I made a mistake or that I was wrong, that when I did need support, I did not ask for it because I didn't want to seem weak or that, you know, someone did need to support me. I wanted to seem as if I was like the veteran teachers on the rest of my staff. And I know I was the first, I was the only first year teacher and probably I think the youngest teacher for the first like five years of my career. (laughs) Um, But I, I think that that immediate just uh, what we call a touch point. So have you read uh, the leadership book Touch Points by Douglas Conant and Met uh, Newgard, I think? I have not. So it's a great uh, leadership book and it's all about like the little tiny uh, touch points or conversations that you have with your staff members or your stakeholders individually to be able to help drop like nuggets or plant seeds of ideas, gather um just really quick bits of information about how people are feeling. And it gives us a really good pulse on everyone. And so if we're able to make sure that we have those consistent touch points, especially with those new teachers, we're going to have a better pulse and uh, they're going to feel a lot more comfortable coming to us when we need, they need support. That's really important. You say that Shane, cause I definitely know what you're referring to. I, I know that that's so important. And I've heard of that before. So what do you do when you have, because when we've worked with principals, oftentimes they'll say, I have that one teacher who will not take, and it's not always a new teacher, but they will not take any feedback. They will not have a conversation and admit any faults at all. And I, I don't, I don't know if that's more seasoned teachers or not. I don't think that matters. What happens when you have that teacher who's giving pushback or won't let that administrator in? Like, what do you do? So, uh, I like to use the uh, the term that my doc advisor used, Dr. Scott McLeod, and he talks about using a small pilot as a way to show people that you know change is good. 
And uh, he talks about it in terms of implementing like new curriculum or new uh, teaching strategies or ideas. I think about it in terms of if I'm trying to instructionally coach a teacher that is really resistant to coaching or doesn't feel like they need help or feedback, I don't start with them. I start with another teacher that is excited about the coaching, um, is usually a seasoned expert master teacher, and they're looking to just like elevate their skills even further and is also a role model to a lot of the other teachers. And so if you can start with that teacher and use that teacher as a role model of, hey, look at all the great things that we're doing here. I actually, uh, last year coaching had a situation where um, there was a grade level I really wanted to work with, but they didn't really feel like they wanted a coach in to work with them. So I worked with a different grade level. And as we were talking at a staff meeting about the uh, strides that their students had made, especially it was uh, upper elementary in reading. And so these students had significant reading gaps coming right out of COVID and how these fourth grade teachers were able to meet the needs of their students uh, using, you know, structured literacy lessons. Then the other team was like, huh, well, that's interesting. How did you do that? And I was like, I would love to sit down and talk with you about that. Let's, you know, let's, you know, I get my foot in the door. There. There is, it is, there's a lot of uh, merit to that for, especially when you're an outside coming in, it's hard to build that trust, but it, that's a great approach to just kind of doing that. So if, if you're talking to a leader or even a, a new instructional coach, who is definitely a leader as well, what do you do to find that person? What do you look for? Uh, you look for the teachers that are one already master teachers and two always looking to elevate their practices. So those are your teachers that are consistently taking professional development or on the leadership committees and teams. They're always asking questions. And it's important as an instructional coach too, to also do those touch points, right? Like I want to build rapport and my position is at the district level. So I'm not in one building. I'm in multiple buildings, which makes it a little bit more difficult to build really strong relationships with one staff. So finally, in my second year within the same schools, I feel really good about, you know, the rapport that I've built, but it has taken two years of like intermittently being within that building. So I think just making sure that every interaction that you have is positive. Again, you're leaving people with, um, you know, a warmth rather than, and you never want to make anyone feel like you, you know, what's best because I don't know everything I'm here. Coaches are really great for questioning. I'm here for introspection and to pull ideas out of you, right? Like the teachers are the ones with the experience and the amazing ideas. And uh, I think that that also is a misconception of coaching is that we're here to consult and tell you what to do. And that is definitely not the case. And if you've had a coach that has done that, I, I apologize <laughs> for anyone <laughs> listening. <laughs> That's not the right way to do it, is it? Yeah, no, it's, it's just more of like, we're here as a soundboard and um, like to bounce ideas off of. And that's what our job is. Like we have to be very good at questioning. Which is really great in today's education world because teachers are burned out and a lot of them feel like they're not heard. So it empowers them. I love that approach. So speak to that because that's really important. Yeah. So it, I mean, a lot of it is it's listen, active listening and paraphrasing for clarity. So I, you know, a teacher's talking to me, you listen, 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 you're organizing their thoughts, and then you paraphrase it back to them to make sure that you're understanding what they're trying to get across. 
because having that clarity between the two of you is super important to make sure that you're moving towards the same goal. And when you think about goals, right, when you are coaching, you are working towards one specific goal and the teacher is the one that names that goal, not the coach. Mm -hmm. So the teacher is the one that says, I want to work on this. And you say, great. If that's what you want to work on, then we will focus on that. Um, the only other times that I've had it different is, you know, there are dynamics where an administrator says you're going to be working with this coach on this one thing, but that is few and far between. Okay. That's good. I mean, I would, yeah. there'd be some pushback there. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's usually like, sometimes in my experience, it's usually an early career teacher and they have been a little too nervous to ask for that support until it has gotten to a point where the administrator has said, okay, we need, we need to like flood you with some support. And so it's not necessarily been apprehensive. It's more of just been, they didn't quite know how to ask. And then it had gotten to a point where we went, oh my goodness. Yes. We will flood you with what you need. <laughs> right. And sometimes I think they, they don't know what they need. It sounds it's, it emulates therapeutic work a lot, doesn't it? Like setting the goal, listening and, and re- paraphrasing and all that. So that's really good that uh, a good leader would be able to probably come in and clearly identify that first of all, and right. then willing to say, listen, this is a supportive effort. And I think that language is probably super important for that buy-in. Yeah. The framing of it, right. It's never to say that you're a bad teacher or you're not doing enough. It's how can we help you be even better than you already are? Right. Okay. So let's, let's move towards a little bit of the SEL stuff that you're integrating into your work. So one of the limitations I heard you say is that not all teachers are going to consistently deliver it. Correct. Correct. So are you bridging the gap there or what are you doing to deal with that? Because that is definitely something we address in our book. And we agree. I mean, we've been teaching SEL for 30 years. It's just not solving the youth mental health crisis. So what are your thoughts around that? And, you know, tell me your approach. Well, thinking about and I'm, I'm thinking about it also from how our district is looking at it. We do have a we have multiple uh, SEL curriculums, but we're also looking to embed what the three signature practices are from Castle. So is that that's like the welcoming activity, engaging activities, and optimistic closing, if I'm correct? Yes. And it's how do we embed that in everything that we do every single day? Because that's not an extra thing or an extra curriculum. It's who we are in the way that we do our work. Right. So I think it's the shift from it's not one more thing. It is part of what we do. So I think that that's a really important uh, framing piece for uh, teachers to kind of wrap their brain around, right? Like it's, again, it's not separate, it's and. Right, right. And that's part of that communication. And that's why your job is so very important. I think a lot of people don't either understand what an instructional coach is doing or is capable of doing. And so I, I think we, we just need to get that message out. I think you, you're doing great work, Shane. That's so important. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, and a lot of it is not as, as difficult as it seems, right? Uh, it's having the greeting at the door, right? As students walk in every day and greeting them with a smile and by name and looking them in the eye. And that is your first touch point to know if a student is needing more, you know, uh, emotion, social, emotional support that day or if not, right? It's not just a, hi, how are you? Check the box. Great. I said, I said, hello. 
Right. Um, it's a, oh, that student greeted me differently than they greet me every other day. I should really check in with them one-on-one to make sure that they're doing all right. Or, you know, if something happened this morning, if they need some time, do they need a break? It's also being more aware of, right, our students' emotional needs as well. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that teachers are feeling overwhelmed having to deal with that on top of teaching? Yeah, especially post-COVID, we're finding a lot more um, students with higher levels of behavior. But what we know about behavior is that it's it's communication, right? So it's it's not just being frustrated that there is behavior. It's having to ask the question, why is the behavior happening and what's the root cause of it, right? It's a symptom. And so how can we get down to what really is happening so that we can help solve the problem rather than just placate it with, you know, uh, a calm corner break <laughs> that might not be. <laughs> it's a great strategy to help mm-hmm. deescalate, but if there there is a consistent behavior every single day, we have to be asking more questions. We have to be taking data to look at what you know. What times are they happening? Is it during a certain time of the day? Is it during a certain block of the school day? Um, essentially, what is the antecedent so that we can start working towards uh, supporting that student. Right. And then, so if you're working with teachers who are, they're new teachers, how do you plan for their classroom management? That word to me, that, that. Oh, it feels so icky. It does. does. I don't like it at all. I don't, but I think we all understand what it is. Right. And so it's the common language. It is a common language that we need to shift, (laughs) but I think you and I are, we're trying to do that. Right. Agreed. Um, So when you're working with new, newer teachers, then what do you put into place? Let's talk about some of the strategies and practice here. What do you give them to, so we can prevent rather than react? Oh, I love that. It's prevent rather than react. Um, so the first thing is, I mean, I know it's said over and over again, but it truly is. Do you have relationships with your students? What do they look like? And can you show me like, uh, show me how it looks, sounds, and feels that you have that relationship? So that's the first step. And the second thing is to talk about what does the everyday look like in their classroom? Are there structures? Are there routines? Are you explicitly stating what your expectations are for students, especially and I, in my brain, I think of like, I'm in elementary mode. I know it, it looks a little bit different in secondary, right? But when we can't assume that our students know what our expectations are, and we can't assume that they have the learning behaviors that we are wanting of them. We have to make sure it's, I just got a new puppy and I equate some of like the learning with that puppy as I do with setting um, structures and routines with students, not to say students and puppies are the same. Please don't hear me. I don't think that. anyone thinks that. I <laughs> okay, think that's but, uh, you know, my partner's like, I don't, I, he's saying, drop it, drop it to the puppy. And I said, Hey, you know, One, he doesn't speak English. (laughs) Two, uh, we haven't taught him that yet. So he has no idea what you're expecting him to do. And that was that light bulb moment for my partner of saying, oh, you're right. Like we have not taught him that. Same thing with students. We can't expect that they're going to act and behave or have learning behaviors in a specific way if we have not explicitly taught them. And we can't assume that they're coming in with them either. Right. Right. Well, that's right. And that's why that partnership at home is so very, very important. And whether we're getting it or not, we're still getting the student with us. But I do think we can bridge that gap too with parents 
as a whole community. So, but I mean, I know that's a whole separate conversation, but you, one of yeah. the things you talk about is cultivating a safe learning environment yeah. and all of that lays down safety, doesn't it? And is there any other strategy you can mention so that, you know, the uh, leaders are making sure that their teachers are laying down that safe learning environment? Definitely. Uh, so common language seems to be some of the most, uh, and a lot of what I'm speaking about is tier one, right? It's not your students who have those significant support needs. That might be a little bit more tier two interventions. When I talk about a lot of these, it is like, what can we be doing for all of students as a foundation, as you said, and some of it is common language, uh, common language in the classroom, explicitly identifying what that common language is so that we can all use it. Um, I love using uh, the terms expected, unexpected. Uh, it That was a tier two intervention I was using with students on the autism spectrum within my classroom. And what I found was one, if I was just using it with them, it was singling them out. <laughs> and two, I, uh, all students can benefit from having labeled social interactions or labeled learning behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it's a much kinder way of redirecting a student and saying, Ooh, it's unexpected that you cut that friend in line. It's expected that we go to the end of the line when we're entering, you know, we're getting into line uh, because what we're doing there is we're framing, you know, what was the unexpected behavior and then what is the expected behavior. So we're not just saying, no, don't do that. Stop. Mm-hmm. Because, it's that they only get the negative. Okay. This is what I shouldn't do, but they don't get the, what should I do? Right. And then they also feel, you know, maybe attacked or affronted just because you've said no. And that is a pretty intense word. So yes. using uh, common language, like active listening, passive listening, uh, active participation, passive participation. Um, I name tones. So you know, I talk about in my book, the bossy tone of if you can add, um, like if you say something in a way that is unkind, like that's my chair, your words might not have been unkind, but the way that you use them was that if we can name those tones, we can bring them to awareness. Uh, and sometimes, well, not sometimes at the classroom level, it works really well. It works beautifully when you have common language across the school. And that's something that administrators can do for new teachers is especially if there's common language across the school, then their students are coming in with the vertical alignment, essentially, of they know that language, they've been had it before, they pretty well know the expectations, you're still going to have to go over them and explicitly state them to let them know that you are aware of those expectations, because students will try to test those boundaries, just because that's Everyone does. Of course <laughs> they will. It's just normal. <laughs> well, what, what popped in my mind, Shane, is uh, there's going to be adults. There's going to be there's going to be colleagues. And there are certainly going to be teachers. If you're the administrator, there's certainly going to be teachers using some of those bossy tones or it's the administrator. So <laughs> I don't know if this is the right conversation for that. But that common language, we all have to check ourselves, don't we? I mean, mm-hmm. really, that's that's it's happening. That's part of the burnout I keep hearing too. Yeah. Is not feeling as if you're being treated like a professional Mm -hmm. and you are a professional. Right. Right. I know. And there's a million ways we could take this too. And I know you have so many strategies, which is by the way, while you write the book, how do people get your book? Uh, It's on Amazon or at uh, connected.org, I believe is what it's at. Okay. Yes. Um, But it is. It's like, you would know too. <laughs> yeah, I would know. I happen to have one up there too, but it's really neat to see myself 
uh, or my book really with Dr. Cameron Caswell. She and I wrote it together. It's it's nice to see us next to such elite people like you, honestly. And there's just so much goodness coming out of it. I'm just so excited about it. It's really neat. I am really excited too. Yes, I agree. The authors that are alongside us are amazing. So it's one of those where I go, gosh, my name's up there with like Weston uh, Kieschnick. Like what? <laughs> right, right. I know. I get it. I get it. Well, okay. So if anybody wants to find you, I see that you're on TikTok, Instagram. Can you tell people how to get to see to you? Cause you've got a great following, especially on Instagram. Definitely. Uh, Instagram is at fantastically forth. So again, those elementary roots, uh, TikTok is the fantastically forth because shocker, uh, fantastically forth was taken on TikTok. (laughs) And then, uh, Twitter is at Saeed S A E E D underscore Shane. Um, and, uh, be on the lookout this summer. My hope is that a lot of content is going to be coming out for those uh, early career teachers and supporting them diving into their new, their new school year. Oh, wow. So you'll go on like TikTok and well, all the like Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and you'll just give little tips here and there. Yeah, it's something I've been kicking around with some other teacher educators that are on social media. And I'm hoping to get a little bit more just not only myself, but other teachers kind of brought in to talk about their experience, their expertise, and you know how they can set themselves up for success. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if you're listening right now, you have got to go follow Shane because we all want that. We want those tips. We want those strategies yes. and we'll use them, won't we? I love that you integrate them into everyday practice. That's so important. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. Okay. Anything else that we left out that you want to share with our audience or anything else you think that we need to say? I don't think so, but just know that educators, we, we appreciate you. We support you. You're amazing. They are. We all are are doing the best we can in education, (laughs) aren't we? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shane, for being here. I appreciate it so very much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it too.